Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Particular Baptist Podcast. I am Daniel, here with my co-host, Sean Cheatham. Uh, you can find us and other podcasts at reformpodcast.com. Check out our blog at theparticularbaptist.net, and check out our Patreon. If you're not yet a patron, we would love if you would support us, if you'd be able to, uh, by becoming a patron to receive exclusive benefits um, and things like bonus episodes or uh, behind-the-scenes content. And we even have some discounts um, for the Broken Wharf up there, which is a UK-based, confessionally Baptist publishing house. Um, so check it out at patreon.com forward slash the particular Baptist and support us today. We appreciate it. Um, but we're going to dive into our topic today. We're doing uh, a little bit of a different uh, you know, topic today because of the season. Um, and you, a lot of things different. We're doing a different topic. And I'm sitting at my desk. I don't normally sit at my desk. Um, I left my tripod at church. I used it for recording the airing controversy last week, and my camera is kind of useless without it. So I'm just doing a little bit different today. Sean and I are just kind of chilling uh, in relation to the season. We're just kind of laid back a little bit today. But we're going to uh, go through a little bit, kind of more of a gospel message, I guess, um, talking about the Christmas story and just some thoughts surrounding that. Um, but before we get into that, I just kind of want to address some things that have been going around in the evangelical world with regards to the Lord's Day, which is kind of interesting. Um, you know, we're in this time of remote church where I, I think some churches probably have not yet gone back to a full, um, you know, in-person meetings with regards to their services. And now we're seeing this new thing where there's churches that are actually canceling services on Sunday because Christmas falls on a Sunday this time, which is not uh, something that happens very often. Um, but people think it somehow is okay that church can be canceled on the Lord's Day simply because of the culturally celebrated Christmas season. Um, and that, you know, we would find that very problematic and disturbing um, that churches would consider that uh, to be a viable option. Um, and it's, I, I think it's kind of ironic. There's a New York Times article that came out recently. Um, it's titled, Oh, Come All You Faithful, Except When Christmas Falls on a Sunday. And I think the title is pretty fitting and kind of a, uh, a rebuke uh, in there as well. Kind of an ironic slap in the face to those who, you know, cr Christians are supposed to be faithful and they're, they're supposed to be the faithful ones. But, you know, Christmas falls on a Sunday, so we'll make an exception to the rule this time. Um, and you know, if the New York Times is coming along and, and criticizing you for something in the Christian church, it's probably something you should uh, take a look at, even though they are a liberal publication and they're not everything that they say is going to be um, biblically accurate. But this time it seems that they were calling out something in a uh, correct fashion. <clears throat> but I want to read a little bit here and then we can see kind of what's going on. Yeah, Sean, go ahead. I was just going to say, at the very least, um, they being a liberal publication, uh, if there's anything, they'll 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 definitely be quick to point out a hypocrisy. Now, sometimes it might be just right. perceived hypocrisy, um, and it might not be truth. But if there's actual hypocrisy, they see, uh, they will definitely be quick to point that out. So, oh yes, oh yes, the world has no problem calling out hypocrisy in the Christian world, uh, for better or for worse. You know, the world sometimes likes to. Uh, cancel Christianity because, well, the church is full of hypocrites and all that stuff. Uh, we don't, we don't want to be part of that. We don't 
think it's a viable option because Christians, you know, they don't do what they say. Um, but this is actually, I think, a, a place where it's good to call hypocrisy and to criticize uh, some in the Christian who call themselves Christians anyways, um, because it is an important issue. This goes to the heart. You know, we're talking about worship. We just did an episode on worship recently. What constitutes corporate worship? And a big part of that is the Lord's Day and what happens on the Lord's Day. So if churches are canceling their services because of a cultural event um, and it's not, you know, a biblical reason to cancel a service, then, you know, you're you're falling into the realm of disobedience at that point. Um, but I want to quote a little bit from the article. It gives some examples of what is going on. Um, so this is from the article, quote, Stonebridge Christian Church in eastern Nebraska is known locally for hosting a big annual fireworks event, which this fall included 15 food trucks and portable fire pits for making s'mores. But it's, it's the Christmas season that is our Super Bowl, let's quote, uh, that's in quotes, our Super Bowl, said the church's executive pastor, Mitch Chitwood. This year, the church's four locations in the Omaha area will host four Jingle Jam family parties in December and nine services on Christmas Eve. Wow. Uh, complete with classic carols, Christmas-themed coffee drinks, and a festive photo booth in the lobby. So you can already see this church is already out in left field in a lot of areas already. Um, so the fact that they were you know, trying to close their church on Christmas isn't really surprising because it looks like they've already thrown out a lot of biblical worship anyways but we move on uh what they will not have is church on sunday december 25th on christmas day stonebridge will offer a simple community breakfast but no religious services we still believe in the sunday morning experience but we have to meet people where they are mr chitwood said so that's the that's the first example that's given by the new york times um so very interesting so they're going to be open to some extent, they're going to serve a community breakfast, but they're not going to have services. And he doesn't exactly say why um, it was that they're not, you know, we got to meet people where they are, but what that means, he doesn't say. Um, but yeah, this church seems to have abandoned worship in other areas, so it's not surprising that the day of worship would be thrown out as well. Yeah, we have to meet people. I mean, there's an, there's an element of truth to that. Um, we don't want to put a burden on someone that um, God hasn't commanded us and is a, a hindrance to them coming to the yep. Lord. But w when there's a divinely ordained um, worship practice, right? It's like, oh, well, we have to meet them where they are. So we're going to we're going to throw that out the window. Um, would you would you say the same thing for for baptism? It's like, oh, well, I, I, I can't envision necessarily. Well. I guess I can envision a, a scenario where uh, a culture might not look favorably upon baptism, right? It's like, oh, well, we have to meet them where they are, so we can't we can't baptize people. It's like, no, this is a divine institution. You can't just that's not an excuse to to not do right. it. Yeah, or or I have a water phobia. It's like, well, you got to be baptized, dude. I'm sorry. Yeah, this is yeah. this is a biblical command. There's no exceptions made in scripture to it. Um, if you want claim the name of Christ, you have to do these things. So this is just part and parcel of being a Christian. Yeah. Yep. Or you're going to have, you know, you're going to fall out of line with what the scriptures teach. Um, and then they give another example. Uh, 
they say, quote, for smaller churches, canceling can be a matter of blunt realism. It can be difficult to summon the volunteers necessary to staff a well-attended Christmas Eve service and then another service the very next morning. For me, there was a theological decision, but also a practical decision, said Laura Bostrom, the pastor of King of Glory Lutheran Church. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. In ELCA, suburban. Oh, yeah, that that yeah. says a lot right there, which attracts about 90 people on a typical Sunday, smaller than our church. Last year, attendance was extremely low, even when Sunday fell on the day after Christmas, and she anticipated that this year would be worse. It didn't seem right to get home at 930 and have everyone wake up and say we have to do this again for such low attendance, she said. I lead with love, end quote. It's not very loving. Um, yeah, it doesn't sound very loving to deprive people of the ordinances, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, well, Lord's Lord's Day worship is probably looked at as more of a, a hassle, um, and not as a not as a blessing. So, oh yeah, um, wow, we got to go to bed at nine thirty and get up early again. Pfft, does yeah. that shot? Come on. Yeah, obviously these are more um, these examples are more directed from the perspective of church leadership, um, mm -hmm. but you do have if, like from a parishioner's perspective, right? Um, from a layman's perspective. Oh, well, you know, I, I, I don't want to necessarily go to church um, on Sunday. It's it's uh, it's a it's Christmas. It's it's a family holiday or, or whatever. And Christmas isn't a, a divinely ordained holiday. Right. Um, so for right. You, you to make it about family and then to overturn the regular worship on the Lord's Day, which is divinely ordained, is going way beyond what it uh what it should be you know and mm -hmm. theoretically christmas is supposed to be about the worship of jesus it's about jesus coming into the world right so it's even more hypocritical or ironic that okay well i'm worshiping jesus but i'm doing it by spending time with my family and not doing um not gathering as uh jesus is commanded in his word so it's um it, it's 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 a mess all over the place yeah. Yeah. You're just, you're just, and that's the thing. It's not like they're not doing anything on that day, right? They're actually doing something. They're just replacing worship for something else like that. Yeah. other church. Yeah. We're going to have a community breakfast. We're not going to worship though. It's just, that's, what's weird about it. It, I think it'd be more consistent to just not do anything at all. Just go home and, you know, sit down with your family, but they're still doing stuff. At least one of these churches is. Um, so, yeah, it's just amazingly hypocritical um, and certainly is displeasing to the Lord. Yeah. Um, well, and then, you know, you got a women, a female pastor and all that. I mean, that's there's tons of other problems here. But that in and of itself is just kind of you know, one of the things that is a big deal. If well, we believe yeah. the moral law still applies, you know, the worship of God doesn't go away. Yeah. Um Specific, I'm guessing because it's Lutheran and female pastor that uh, she's ELCA and um, the whole like, oh, well, we don't have enough members to do this. Well, that's the chronic problem in the ELCA because they're hemorrhaging members. So that honestly could just be sort of an excuse. I don't know. Yeah, like a cop out. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, you know, yeah, we don't have I mean, 90 people on a typical Sunday. That's not a whole lot of people, but I mean, you can plan it out. We do it. You know, there's going to be people that are probably going to be traveling from our church, but we still plan it out to have enough people there to do what we got to oh. do. 
even if you have <laughs> five people, right? Say the rest of the yeah. congregation is traveling. One person even preaching, people, one person leading singing, and some people to clean up. I mean, it's not difficult. Like, it, well, yeah, but it's just well, you should <laughs> do the service anyway because that's that's God has ordained this, right? It doesn't matter yes. how many uh, people there are. Um, I know this verse is abused a lot, but I think it's appropriate to say it here. Wherever two or three are gathered, um, there I am in the midst of them. Even if it's a, even if it's a couple people, uh, you still do what God has commanded you. Um, and it's, if, if it's one day a year, then fine. Like, yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, it should. It shouldn't be really any different. Like tomorrow is not going to be any different because we worship every Sunday. Yeah. The only thing that's different is that we're focusing on the the birth of Christ and and also his resurrection because that's the Lord's day. So we're doing both. Um, but that's pretty much the difference. There's really not. We're going to sing. We're going to hear preaching. We're going to partake of the table. There's nothing different. Yeah, maybe yep. there will probably sing Christmas hymns. So a slightly different, yep. um, slightly different set of songs. And uh, the preaching will be more focused on the incarnation than perhaps it would mm -hmm. be on a typical Sunday. But that's that's honestly about it. There's not going to be yep. any it's just another day difference. in worship for us. Yeah, that's it. And then yep. I'm still I'm still going over to my parents' house later in the evening, and we will we will celebrate Christmas in that sense. Um, at, uh, at least being together and exchanging gifts, but um to overthrow the divinely or i've said it already but to overthrow the divinely ordained worship for uh, like oh well the family should be together we don't want to expend the effort to to go to church like that's that's just wrong yeah it's disobedience you know we're not to neglect the meeting of ourselves together it's the same issue that came up in covid um uh, that churches had to wrestle through or some just blatantly ignored um so it yeah, it doesn't go away. It's the same principle, just in a different context. And people, the world will come up with excuses to get out of doing what God has commanded. And these don't sound like biblical churches anyways, especially the Lutheran one. Mm. So it's, it's you know, it, the world is, they find the commands of God a burden. And First John 5 mm. says that we won't find them a burden if we are Christians. We'll want to do them, right? Amen. So it's, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Um, let's see. Bruce, those uh, we got more Bradfords in the chat. Um, no church history for liberal churches. More interested in welcoming the world and turning them into uh, into them than conforming to the authority of God in Scripture. Yep, yep. that's exactly right. They're they're more interested in in accommodating the fleshly desires of their supposedly Christian congregants in order to stay relevant. I guess. Um, but yeah, they're, they're not being biblical. It's, it's accommodating them. It's accommodating the world's fleshly desires. And there's probably a lot of pagans in those churches, unfortunately. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And even if you are a true believer and you're, you're thinking about not going to church on Sunday, oh, I'd rather just go with my, uh, stay with my family. I just encourage you to, to really think about it and, um, mm -hmm. and, make sure that your motivations are are good here. Um, Cause even as Christians, even though we should be delighting in Lord's day worship, um, we are still fallen. So um, we don't necessarily, our, our uh, desires don't always align with what they should, even as Christians. So I just, uh, I'd recommend you really think through that and um, 
uh, well, honestly, I'd call you to repent and to, to mm-hmm. go unto the Lord because the Sunday is still the Lord's day. It's still his day for us to gather. So, um, yep. Yeah. Amen. Amen. All right. So that kind of led us off into our discussion here. So we're going to do just a little bit discussion around the Christmas story um, and do a little bit of a gospel message, a little bit of a devotional. So I don't want to read from Luke chapter two, read a little bit from Luke chapter two. Um, You know, you can find the Christmas story, I think, in all the gospels. um, But Luke two is a pretty uh, one that a lot of people go to. So Luke 2, beginning of verse 1, it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when uh, when Quinarius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, <clears throat> Excuse me, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who is the child. And while they were there, the time come for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them at the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people for, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you, and you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So this is a very high overview, it kind of a more of a summary of the Christmas story. In I think um, in Matthew you're going to find a much more detailed description of the birth, and then I think you're going to find the flight to Egypt in there as well. Um, but this gives us kind of a general idea of the Christmas story. So we see, you know, Joseph is going, uh, to be registered at the census. We see that Mary is already, um, with child. Uh, this was significant because Jesus, um, being, you know, conceived of the Holy spirit kind of brought reproach upon Mary and Joseph because Joseph thought that, uh, or at least it appeared that Mary was unfaithful to him. Uh, because she was pregnant, so he had sought to seek a divorce, as we see in in at least one of the other Gospels. Um, so this was significant, but they had to travel. He had to take care of her. They were betrothed. It was almost as binding as a marriage in that time uh, to be engaged. But she gave birth to the Lord, and then we see this praise coming on the scene, right? We see the Lord is starting to reveal, you know, kind of little tidbits of what the significance of Christ's coming is, right? So in verse 10, you know, we see, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news that will be for all the people. So this is really, you see the gospel starting to unfold even at this point with Christ's birth. And it certainly includes uh, Christ's birth. It's not just about uh, his uh, death and resurrection. That's It culminates there, but it includes his whole life because his whole life living in obedience to the law started when he was conceived and up until his death. I mean, it it includes all of that. But you can see the gospel is starting to go out in this hope that is coming onto the scene. Uh, Jesus is going to bring peace to the world. He's going to bring peace to to humanity by making a way to be united to the Father. 
um, through his son. And that's what we're seeing here very clearly. Um, and in verse 14, you know, this is a, Sean and I were talking about this before, and this is a textual variant. You know, if you read the King James, I'm reading from the ESV in here. If you read the King James and the New King James, um, you're going to find it's among uh, peace on earth and goodwill toward men or something like that. Um, but you can pull the same principle from either translation. Um, the point is that God is bringing peace to the earth and that he's going to save his people. He's going to save his elect through Jesus Christ. Ultimately, that's the idea that's that's being given here. Um, but, you know, we hear the Christmas story a lot, um, especially for those, uh, you know, we, we hear the Christmas story, even culturally. The Christmas story is brought up. We see nativity scenes. We see um, all these different things surrounding the birth of Christ, even in our pagan culture, which in a sense, I guess, is good. It keeps Christ uh, centered. It gives good opportunities to talk about Christ to our unbelieving friends and family members. Um, but we see Christ being predicted in the Old Testament, right? Isaiah 53, who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. So what we're seeing in Luke is the fulfillment of prophecy. And it's not just Isaiah that we see the son prophesied. Um, as explained in the New Testament, we can see in the Psalms, uh, even all the way back to Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, there would be the one who would crush the head of the serpent that would come through Eve, um, ultimately, and down through the lineage. And in the book of Matthew, you can see that lineage, that genealogy laid out very clearly of Christ's physical genealogy. Where did he come from? Um, and God providentially ensured that he would come, that all these things would happen. So we see this unified revelation from God. We don't see a disjointed um, plan. You know, we're not dispensationalists. We don't see one plan over here and then another plan for Israel over here. It's one unified plan for his people. Um, and that's, you know, that's what we call covenant theology. And then also as Reformed Baptists, we believe in the covenant redemption, that there was this covenant transaction between the Father and the Son uh, in a very, I'm saying this very imprecisely, but covenant agreement between the Father and the Son that the Son would come and the Father would save through a Son. There would be this uh, just salvation of God's people, of the elect of God, by Christ coming to die. Um, so we see this unified revelation. We don't see a disjointed revelation. And we see prophecy being fulfilled, the scripture confirming itself hundreds of years apart from the prophecies. Isaiah's prophesying four or 500 years maybe before Christ was even born. And then Christ comes and fulfills the very thing that he uh, claims happened. Um, and then Jesus lives perfectly on our behalf, right? He grows up. He lives perfectly. Even as, as, a, as a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, he's obeying his father. Um, there's no imperfection there. There's no sinful desires. There's no unrighteous anger. There's no disrespect of his parents. There is perfect obedience, which is needed um, in order for us to stand right before God. If there is one time, even when Jesus was a baby, and we tend to think that babies are these innocent uh, little creatures to some extent, in, in a sense, 
um, Jesus was the only one we could say was a true innocent baby. He was the one who was truly innocent. If there was a time where Jesus uh, had sinned, even as an infant, we have no hope. There, he could not stand on our behalf. We need someone who perfectly kept the law of God because we have this rift between us and God. Our relationship is broken. We have to be united to the Father through the Son, and we need a perfect uh, sacrifice to do that. So that's really where you see this rejoicing. You know, the, the angels are singing. The angels are praising God. And then the shepherds are praising God as they leave the uh, as they leave from seeing baby Jesus because they're understanding the ramifications of what this means. This isn't just anyone who's been born. This isn't just anyone who's come. This is the one who will bring peace on earth to his people um, and glorify God in the salvation of his people. Uh, anything you want to add, Sean? Um, no, it's very good. Very good. All right. Um, um, I think, yeah, go ahead. Oh, were you, were you done with your section or did you still have more? To no, say? I have some more stuff I can okay. say, but feel free to, no, feel free to pipe in. Oh no. I was, I was just wondering if I should jump to, to my stuff now. <laughs> I wasn't track. I wasn't tracking in the outline. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Um, but I, I think that, you know, as we're talking about Christmas, we tend to get caught up so much in the commercialism of it. And that might sound cliched. You know, we I don't think there's anything wrong with having a fantasy of Santa Claus in, for your kids as something fun to do, as long as it's understood that this is not a replacement for what the season is really about. Um, or, you know, we're, we're having fun with gifts, enjoy giving gifts to one another. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, but I think we tend to get into this christmas spirit and we forget why we even do this in the first place um so it's something that we have to, to constantly keep in mind and we should be giving thank you uh thanks to god even outside of christmas for the birth of christ christmas should not be the only time we give thanks to god for this um it's in the scriptures as we come across it we're to give thanks in all circumstances and so we should be thanking god for this gift that he's given us but i think the commercialism of christmas kind of uh, can blind us a little bit, I think, to the wonderful gift that we have been given in Jesus Christ. And I think we can take that for granted because uh, we, we hear the story so much. We, we're blinded by the commercialism, I think, and then we hear the Christmas story repeated so much that we, I think, miss the significance of it. Um, that, you know, Jesus, why did Jesus have to come? And what was the what was the importance of that? What was the importance of that? It was to save us so that we could have a relationship with God. And that should that should draw us to worship. And I think it's it that's what makes Christmas falling on the Lord's Day so neat is this is a perfect opportunity for worship. And these churches that are, you know, we just talked about, they're canceling their services, they're missing out. You know, they're missing out. They're missing out on worshiping God. They have a day dedicated to worshiping God and a day dedicated to worshiping God in a special way in the sense that they are they can celebrate that this precious gift of the Son has been given to his people, and that should move us to praise, to sing, to learn the word, to love one another. Um, so it, it's these churches are hindering themselves. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. It's, it's amazing to me. It's... Um, that these churches would be so bold as to hold this 
praise and this opportunity to worship God with their own people, understanding the significance of Christ's birth. So it, I think it's very, uh, it's disheartening, and it kind of makes me mad that people are, they're hindering their people in this way, um, and that they would think that something temporal, a day in a commercialized sense, is more important to their congregants than worshiping the one true and living God. That is idolatry on, that's bald face idolatry, that's all that is. Yeah, yep. you you bring up um, the uh, the um, commercialization of Christmas, and I think there's a even more fundamental problem, which is the secularization of Christmas, which which comes before that. Um, from what I see, for most people, religion doesn't really even enter into. Maybe not most people. Maybe it's just where I live, but um, uh, the religious aspect doesn't even really enter into people's mind. All it is is about well, Santa Claus and gift giving and mm -hmm. the Christmas tree and, you know, maybe Christmas dinner. So um, they've already departed from any potential foundation in Christ about it. Um, so it's no surprise, therefore, that we see also the commercialization of it because it's, it's all already, uh, the foundation's already gone. Um, so uh, for, for me, I would say, if you are going to celebrate Christmas, um, make sure it's a celebration of Jesus um, that in this particular day of the year uh, that's associated with Jesus's birth, uh, you're celebrating the fact that he came um, not. And I'm not saying that family can't be involved in that. Obviously um, they can be involved in that, but it's not about the family in of itself. It's not about Santa Claus. It's about mm -hmm christ so yes yep ultimately it's about jesus christ and that's yeah if we miss that then you know we're gonna fall into these worldly traps that we find these other churches falling into they've lost uh again there, there's deeper issues there they're they're already sinning in other ways with their worship and their and their church life but you know if if you just remove these critical items from worship from church life it's like the dominoes just keep falling i was like oh why don't we just do that you know why not we're doing all these other things that aren't biblical so yeah. who cares Let, let's yeah. just keep going down the line and it, it's i guess it's not really surprising that you know when you understand the context of some of these churches that they would do that right they're already yeah. committing idolatry in other ways um but it shouldn't be this should be something to me it's something so basic right it's like what well, yeah, we're worshiping on the Lord's Day. Why are we? Why is this even a controversy? Well, because we're we've let the churches just let themselves go so much and been influenced by the culture that it this is normal to them. You know, doing something, just adding another worldly uh, practice or belief onto their already uh, stinking pile of worldliness is just kind of it's normal for them. Yeah, why not? But to us, it's appalling because we're. You know, we see our, we see biblically this is how it's supposed to be, and we see that, uh, you know, we're doing this every single week, and it's just like we can't imagine doing anything else. Can't imagine doing anything else. Um, but yeah, yeah, but yeah. Let's you know as we go into worship tomorrow, um, let's worship God with 
as we do every Sunday, but, you know, giving special attention to, um, you know, the son being born as we thank God in the season for his son coming. You know, let's let's praise and worship God for that. We have so much to be thankful for. Our souls are saved. We're secure. We have a savior who mediates for us, who paid the ultimate price for our sins, satisfying God's wrath, satisfying the law so that we can stand before God without anything else we have to give to contribute to that standing. We don't have anything to bring at all, and we never did. It was only by faith that we came and we believed in Christ, and, and we stand saved. And that should be our our joy tomorrow as we worship God. We should sing with that in our hearts. Um, and we do, I think, every week, but in particular tomorrow, we should just remember that um, and let that guide our worship um, and our reverence for God, that our, you know, his son has come and that we can have salvation and rest and peace in Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, with that, everyone, I think that will be all today. Just a short little devotional oh. Christmas special today. I did. Oh have, yeah. Uh, Sean, go ahead. Yeah. You had some stuff yeah. you want to say. So, Sorry. Yeah. Jumping ahead uh, here. <laughs> this you, is you what happens me, when, when I don't. Sean and I use an outline, and if I don't put the names on there or put stuff on there that I should, then I get ourselves in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> no problem, no problem. It wouldn't be the first time that I messed up the outline. So. <laughs> um, yeah, I just wanted to do uh, two Old Testament passages that relate to the um, uh, the birth of Christ, although they might not immediately seem that way, or they, they might not be ones that we immediately think of. First one comes from Micah 5.2. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. So um, this is the prophecy that lets us know that the the Savior would come from Bethlehem, when um, mm -hmm. when uh Her the wise men come and ask where's uh where's the king of the jews um and herod asks um his uh his essentially his wise men is probably the sadducees um or the pharisees uh where's where's the messiah supposed to be born they point to bethlehem and this is why because it's it's prophesied but what's also interesting in this prophecy is it directly implies that uh jesus the savior will be god right it says that his goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Uh, only God is from everlasting. And um, it's important that the Savior be God, because only God has the infinite worth to pay for our infinite sins. We have sinned against a holy, righteous, and perfect God. Our sins are of infinite weight, and therefore the sacrifice for those sins has to be of infinite value himself. And he being mm -hmm. both God and man has the requisite qualities of both um, in order to fulfill what we need um, in that uh, in that perfect sacrifice. Um, the other uh, the other spot I wanted to I'll start from the New Testament quotation of the Old Testament. Um, and this is Matthew two, starting in uh, verse 13. And um, I'll just read it. And when they departed, that being the wise men, behold, uh, the angel of the Lord appeared to <laughs> excuse me, appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt and be thou there until I bring thee word for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. 
when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, out of Egypt have I called my son. Now, this is a this is a interesting for a couple of reasons, actually. The first one I'll, I'll, I'll say is something that I had never noticed until it was it was brought up to me. I had always taken this to be, oh, um, Jesus goes into Egypt and then um, later he's called out of Egypt. And that's why it says out of Egypt, I called my son. Um, but it doesn't actually say that uh, it says that they departed to Egypt and he was there until the death of Herod. Um, and this is fulfilling um, out of Egypt called have I called my son, uh, which is hmm. basically implying that where he was in Bethlehem is Egypt, oh, which makes sense if you think about it. What's uh, what's Egypt associated with? Um, you have uh, in uh, the beginning of the book of Exodus, you have the king of the realm commanding that the male children uh, of the Israelites um, be put to death. Similarly, um, Christ, um, he escapes, just like Moses escaped from this, um, from the king ordering all male children in, in Bethlehem to be put from death. It's, it's ironic that Israel in this case is acting more like Egypt um, than uh, Egypt is. Egypt is a safe split, uh, spot, whereas Israel is not. Um, the second thing is I know uh, there are some that would want to challenge this as a prophecy, because if you go back to the Old Testament reference, it's more of a statement. Um, Hosea 1.11, when Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. Um, so this gets into the whole um, prophecy, uh, typological prophecy, essentially. Um, it's a statement in the Old Testament, but that doesn't mean that it's not prophetic of the coming Christ because Christ. We see is that in other places too. Yeah. You know, those yeah. Psalms, like, you know, they, they, I'm paraphrasing, they gambled my garments or they cast lots for my garments or something had nothing, you know, David was speaking maybe about it in a different sense, or it was just a statement, but it was prophetic. That's how the new Testament saw it. Well, I, there's, there's so many examples of this, right? Um, yeah. Isaac being sacrificed on the altar, right? Like, well, that's, that yep. really did happen. It's a true story. And yet, it parallels Christ in so many ways, right? Um, it starts, the whole narrative starts out with um, uh, the angel. It's either God or the angel. I can't remember now which one. It's like, Abraham, Abraham, take your son, your only son whom you love, right? Um, just like Jesus is the only begotten son of the father, the son whom he loves. Uh, they go three days and then uh, they're taken up. He's taken up onto a mountain. It says that... Uh, Isaac carries the uh, the wood just like Christ carries his own cross, his wood for the sacrifice. Um, there's uh, when he's he's bound. Um, it ends up being that there's a substitute made for him, just like there's a substitute for us, right? Uh, there's a, a ram that's uh, um, taken in his place, and the ram it's explicitly says was caught in the thicket on the in, on its horns, so it, in a sense had a crown of thorns, right? Um, so this, this all literally happened, but typologically it's pointing towards Christ and we recognize this. Um, similarly, um, if Christ is the true Israel, right, he, he succeeds in all the spots that Israel failed. It's no mm -hmm. shock that we would look at, um, or Matthew in this case would look at this and like, oh yeah, of course, 
um, this is speaking of Jesus the Messiah, because just like Israel was called out of Egypt, so the true Israel, Israel Christ, is called out of Egypt. Um, and I guess the, the last thing I want to say about this is um, it shows immediately what the conditions were that Christ was born into. Um, Christ isn't born into the lap of luxury. In fact, his, no. his early life is, um, whether or not he's at the point where he can even remember this or not, I don't know, but they're on the run um, from mm -hmm. people that want to put him to death. Uh, this is the life that Christ lived. And that's the life that he lived for us. Um, uh, not one of glamour, but one of suffering. And uh, he obeyed the father perfectly going to that, that pinnacle of suffering, the cross and um, succeeded in our place. Um, and when we put our trust in him, our sins are forgiven and we are accredited with accredited with his righteousness that he earned during his life. Um, so if there are any out there that um, don't have their sins forgiven, I, I, I would, I would say run to Christ, flee to him, um, free to the one, flee to the one that was born in Bethlehem so that he might die um, for this uh, for sin. Amen. Amen. Yep. And that's where we want to leave you all today is with the gospel. Again, that's that's what the birth of Christ is about. It's about glorifying God by the salvation of a particular people. That's what the, the birth of Christ is all about. There is no significance apart from that. Um, otherwise, he's just another baby born in history. There, there's really no significance to it. But significance with Jesus was incarnate. The son was incarnate, took on the name Jesus in his human nature and lived that perfect life for us. Um, so like Sean said, if you do not know Jesus Christ, turn to him, repent to him. He's the only way to the father. Um, and and see this Christmas season as a joyous time where we can celebrate Christ's coming and your own salvation um, for those who believe. But with that, we'll uh, we'll leave that here. Um, again, have a great Lord's Day tomorrow. Uh, worship the Lord with all your heart. Uh, let's let's take these precious truths and and let it guide our worship tomorrow. Um, and Lord willing, we will be back next week. Thanks for listening.